Welcome to Audio Gyan with Kedar Nimkar, a podcast that documents insightful conversations with Indian designers, artists, musicians, writers, thinkers, and creatives of all types. Here's your host, Kedar Nimkar. Crafts is an integral part of experimental creativity and a conduit for imagination of forms. Today, I have Devika Krishnan with us on Audio Gyan. She's a founder of Studio Satwa and Art House. Devika graduated in ceramics from NID. and did mba from isb and since then has been relentlessly working in varied areas of design and empowerment she continues to work for daskar ranthambore where she trains new groups of artisans one of the topics we'll be discussing today is commitment to kashmir that is enabling young and eager kashmiris to set up their crafts business with suitable market linkages to sustain themselves and those who employ So thank you, Devika, for giving your time, and it's a real honor to have you on audio again. Thanks a lot, yeah. Thanks so much. It's well, absolute pleasure, pleasure, and honors an understatement for me. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm like, like, yeah. This is a very small project as compared to uh, the projects that you have been engaged with and doing for last twenty, thirty, forty years, maybe. So uh, this conversation, I mainly wanted to document in form of a case study, predominantly commitment to Kashmir. and uh, to get into those nuances maybe we can start off with a more broader question to understand the landscape of uh, art and craft uh, in the country uh, what has been your observations and then i have like very particular questions with respect to kashmir so yeah i mean that's sure. that's the that's the uh, so yeah uh, you can start by telling like what i believe real india is still like 60% plus villages yes yes so if you can give a sense of the broad landscape with respect to art and crafts in the country and sure. we'll we'll open up more questions yeah but uh, you know i my knowledge is rather limited however whatever little i know from my experience of the past 30 years i will share like you said yeah close to 70% of our country actually resides in what i would call as lesser geographies not even villages because they could be b towns they could be even just the slums and lesser geographies within large urban metros and uh, a great part you know close a huge part of our population does not have the sort of privileges that you and i have uh, mm-hmm. unfortunately what we read in the papers and what is forever projected in the media is only stuff that is uh, relating to us and catering to us and this larger we larger india that is is often ignored um agriculture like we know is our largest occupation and um occupations that are allied to agriculture traditionally for the past how many ever thousands of years are also the ones that are thriving along with agriculture aur kuch nahi to hamare paas kisan hai hamare paas you know that there's one entire larger chunk of population for whom their occupation takes up their entire life mm. so when the rest of the world went through these multiple recessions in the recent past with the you know with the housing uh, bust in the us and the it bubble bust and whatever really it didn't hit india that much because you know how much lower can we bottom out correct in one sense correct mm-hmm. today's scenario is different we are actually shaking our foundation right now i don't know if that's a good thing mm. yeah mm. so yeah there are many many questions and along with agriculture comes craft 
because traditionally when somebody is not sowing or harvesting one is actually creating so when you wow. look at uh, when you look at crafts from that lens whether it is weaving or uh, metalsmithy or pottery uh, these were all uh, seasonal traditions that uh, that sort of uh, uh, dovetailed themselves into the larger tradition of agriculture so we are an agrarian society even today and whatever you might want to say about all the other various manufacturing sectors and automotive and it and falana thikana we cannot ignore that primarily we are agrarian and because we are agrarian we are craft based because it's an allied uh, yeah. setup Got weaving uh, textile based craft for example is the second largest occupation after agriculture but yet where are we on the global uh, you know global scenario with our textile exports handmade textile exports uh, yeah. why are our looms shutting down at such rapid rates because we are not giving uh, our age old trusted uh, viable occupations the the value they deserve we've got living crafts like if you take uh, ajrak for example the ajrak printing it's hmm. from indus valley we have examples of ajrak printed fabric that is 3600 years ago old wow. um, you know we've got a shroud uh, on tutankhamun's tomb which is uh, ajrak uh, which has ajrak block printing trade was thriving then and what was being traded out of india was largely cotton textile the greeks the romans everybody wanted whoever you know wanted indian muslin indian textiles and that brought us our revenues and today we've just abandoned it yeah i've i've read somewhere we were about 6% of the gdp for the world uh, yes. population so yeah it yeah, was quite yeah. a significant number uh, and yeah and where are we today and we're still chasing foreign dreams when we have a wealth that is happening right under our noses we are not willing to look at it mm. you know and uh, many many people are entering the sector but uh, it's not enough we are still at just the tip of the iceberg we need hundreds of thousands of people to actually work and engage and build these bridges that would bring the glory back um, to our agrarian and our craft sector the glory that we had at one point Correct. So you you beautifully uh, sorry uh, to interrupt, but you beautifully mentioned that one is while one is not sowing or harvesting, they are creating craft, uh, which which is sort of very interesting to know because my the topic today is like Kashmir, and um, if you can give some insights about how come Kashmir is so fertile when it comes to crafts, because uh, is it because agriculture is not as heavily exercised as in other parts of the country back then or today uh, it's actually quite the reverse it is because privatization hasn't come to kashmir as much as it has infiltrated the rest of the country our uh, if we look at crafts in the rest of the country i think it was giving um, subsidies to mills and other manufacturing sectors at the cost of uh, handmade and some a geography like kashmir which was at that point and i could be wrong in this this is just my personal observation i need experts to look into this field 
but from whatever i have experienced and i have studied and analyzed is at that point in the late 80s early 90s when the rest of india got liberalized a very thriving economy and i think jammu and kashmir had one of the highest gdps in uh, state wise in india till 1989 with their carpet exports and you know other exports that they had um that geography completely shut itself out from the rest of the world because of mm. insurgency yeah um mm. so while the rest of us got our googles and our amazons and our uh, you know uh, levis and our coke and pepsi and whatever else all the plants and the machinery and the offices and the mnc's coming up there is zero privatization in kashmir obviously nobody would want to invest in a conflict land and uh, so it's almost like a capsule preserved in time mm. and uh, i would think that's the only positive light you know that little silver lining in the gray cloud of uh, insurgency that we see that uh, so many craft and traditional practices were preserved and it was the only thing people knew and it was the only avenue people could access agriculture and craft so it remains still that more than 60% of the households in the valley um are associated with some uh, avenue of craft or the other whether it's trade manufacture um whatever but they are associated with some craft or the other mm, mm. it's quite the reverse it's the lack of privatization <laughs> that safeguarded our uh, heritage yeah it's a, is, yeah it's a it's a tragedy but yeah it has also the positive side to it <laughs> yes yes uh, you will hear time and again i'm i'm a hopeless positivist okay hopeless <laughs> hopeless optimist <laughs> uh and and before moving to commitment to kashmir project uh, has anything changed post uh, 370 uh <laughs> well it got really bad with 370 with the whole blackout that happened for months together and really nothing much has changed on ground um other than promises having changed uh, politically there's been a huge change because all the smaller regional parties that were pitted against each other have all suddenly uh, joined and aligned and they've got this one common enemy but it is uh, it's only a matter of time that they'll be in fighting again and so a lot of the issues that i see happening in the valley are political in nature and they're driven by politics politics i from all the interactions that i've had with people and i'm a very very chatty soul so i've got i make friends everywhere you know the average pulse of the youth there or the youngsters that i work with who are in their 20s or the school kids that i've interacted with they just want normalcy hmm they hmm. just want to get on with life they're like bas bahut ho gaya ab yaar you know we need to we need to have access to good education we need to have access to travel we want to see places we want to sell we want to buy we want to you know they just have the normal regular aspirations that we all have i think a larger part also um uh, a contribution is um, their access to social media mm. which also was shut out for months together last year even now yeah. they are on 3g but i think uh, geo is being rolled out some geo cable something something 
but uh, whatever it is uh, what but that I... will have yeah that will have its own repercussions because then it's like a monopoly then it will be yeah kind of... yeah yeah so so all these things i think we are we i would look at i look at all of this cyclical and in a more philosophical way we we start so i think we are going we are heading nationwide or possibly even globally into a monopolized world mm. the sooner we come to terms with it uh, the better for us because frameworks um, you know so this is a larger a monopolized framework is a framework the sooner we understand it the sooner we can manipulate it and work our way around it correct again the optimist वैसे भी जनरली बोला है ना कि कलयुग की तरफ जा रहे हैं तो कलयुग में मोर होमोजेनाइजेशन हो जाएगा एवरीथिंग विल बिकम फ्लैट एंड या दैट्स वेयर द डाइवर्सिटी विल गो एंड यू लाइक या वापस इवोल्यूशन सो आई व्हाट आई फील इज दैट इन द we don't so that's the whole thing i keep telling people you know um, we don't have to ha- do a this or that the world is never black and white even in a monopolized world mm-hmm. there will be so many shades of gray that we need to celebrate those grays how do we still operate in a black and white world while still safeguarding our shades of gray i don't know in a very abstract sense which means sure. you will have to you will have to redefine your gray in its amount of black and white content but still it retains its grayness mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying yeah. so so how do we protect our diversity within the monopoly is what we need to start looking at not not lament the fact that we will lose our diversity nor happily um um you know abandon it singularity but within that monopoly how do we celebrate diversity what right. are the channels actually so everything can exist together yeah yeah i i don't know whether i'm getting my history right but i think uh, when alexander was conquering we had buddha on this side so there's the the both the sides are balancing out somewhere or the other in the larger scheme huh. of things <laughs> cool uh-huh. uh yeah so like uh, what is commitment to kashmir if you can talk about that and how does it work how like active so commitment to kashmir was this i mean um you know mr jain who who set up the um crafts museum in delhi and uh, his wife devaki jain have worked relentlessly for the um in the craft sector as the voice of the artisans um in showcasing our craft styles uh, across decades and um, he towards the end of his years he had this grand vision of actually doing something for kashmir pulling it out of its uh, what should i say the state that it was in and give people hope and how do you keep people give people who are constantly caught between terrorists and military and this and that and this party and that party and you know it's no longer an india issue or a pakistan issue or anything it's a global issue we don't want that wound to heal because there is some somebody is benefiting somewhere from that wound mm. and as a result these millions of people are uh, paying the price for it so how do we generate hope within the system 
and that's how commitment to kashmir started uh, his wife devaki jain took it forward and they set up a trust in delhi and um, i think there are six or seven trustees i'm not too sure uh, how many um, there's ritu kumar and there's uh, manju nurula laila taib ji gulshan nanda devaki jain of course um, and um, ratija um, i don't know if i've missed any i'm sorry mm-hmm. but um, and these are all um, all these names they're all stalwarts they're all like doyans in the craft sector themselves each of them has and big thing something that they've done towards uh hand skills and mm. design and mm. um, so somebody is associated with dastakar or cottage emporium or nift or uh, you know craft revival trust and um, uh, crafts council of india so they brought this together they had a bit of funding to begin with uh, uh mr jain had actually kept aside money and they did a first cohort i think in 2012 or 13 yeah before the flood uh they did one cohort and it was very small they actually disbursed about 4 lakhs or whatever it was i forget the money uh, shruti had mentioned it to me i wasn't a part of it then um and they they worked with craft development institute which is our ground partner in kashmir so you can't operate in a geography like kashmir without having somebody local supporting you and in that local support commitment to kashmir found fantastic uh, partner in craft development institute which has been working in uh, providing uh, business and design inputs to artisan communities in the valley and making them uh, into independent entrepreneurs for like decades now and mm. uh, so they held workshops there and then they disbursed money um to these people towards the end of 2013 or in 2014 and then of course the flood happened mm. and you know the flood has been like it's like um, it's like when i work in kutch um everybody their their timeline is before the earthquake bhukam se pehle and bhukam ke baad so mm-hmm. Kashmir now is like even I catch myself saying this because I've been working in Kashmir since 2010. I also say Sahab se pehle Sahab ke baad. It's almost like you know before Christ and mm. <laughs> so it's it's surprising because uh, they must have gone through so many bad patches and so many events. Uh, still, like the flood seems to be like one of the uh, pivoting points. I I mean it's interesting to not uh, know that as well. yeah it was a pivoting point because it was a flood like no flood no other flood and kashmir by now is so used to um so used to being beaten um you know they are the most positive souls I, the, the people of kashmir are the most positive like when we went into a lockdown in, in march and it didn't open up all of april and it started running into me and if i would get some day i would get really frustrated with my work i just had to pick the phone and call up a kashmiri mentee of mine and speak to them they were so positive they said are ye to acha hi hua na you know they mm-hmm. had some they had a nice positive take on things because they are so used to lockdown yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> they uh, on an average year we uh, my friend and i were calculating you know this friend of mine ramnik and i we run a project of our own called shepherd crafts kashmir which is 
we are working with the Gujar Bakarwal community there. Mm. Uh, and so there was a year, we, we have opened and shut our project six times already because we are in a difficult geography uh, and there's no support that we get. We're just running it out of our pockets uh, mm. and with our wits about it. But mm. um, they typically have like uh, only 80 working days, 80, work- 80 to nine. 80 to 90 school days in a year. Are you serious? Yeah, oh, yeah. Okay. Just just go and check. You'll get the statistics in any of these uh, government websites and just see from, say, 2004 till now. Uh, there may have been two or three years when they had decent, like maybe 120 working days or 130 school days. Otherwise, schools are shut. Colleges are shut. Offices are shut. There is no private enterprise. What is a person supposed to do? So these kids, I mean, and then you talk of how are you keeping a man occupied? How are you keeping a child occupied? You know, we are not looking at these absolutely basic ground realities. But school What what happens to the future? You know, and the mentees that I'm working with in commitment to Kashmir right now, fabulous, fabulous kids. They are mostly in their 20s. They've all, they are all born into conflict. For them, having a soldier in a sandbank, a soldier in fatigues with a gun in his hand is normal. You know, every 10 yards under every third tree is one soldier posted. That is so normal that for the first time when two of them came to Bangalore, and I went to pick them up from the airport. These were two girls. So their parents were very worried sending them out. And I said, don't worry, they'll stay with me. So then there was some relief. So I went to pick them up. One of the girls actually turned around and told me, ma'am, you never told us how unsafe Bangalore is. So I said, why? I mean, it's as safe. Amongst. She <laughs> said, nee, Srinagar is much safer than this. So I said, why do you say that? She says, ek bhi, ek bhi military Hmm. <laughs> and then how do you explain to a person that we are so safe that we don't need soldiers about us uh, you know it, it's just a different reality so uh, coming uh, we have lost thread now what are we talking about <laughs> no no so I wanted to ask you the with uh, I mean this is sort of depressing what you said uh, but it also yeah gives like a different perspective of the world altogether <laughs> yeah so okay. they have they have internalized militarization it's the most heavily militarized corner in the world okay mm. and mm. so they have accepted the military um because they're so used to it it's like their chinar trees and their apple you know it's like a part of their uh, whatever that you see, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's a part of there. It's uh, yeah. Correct. Uh, so, uh, like, uh, actually, not digressing much, but coming back to the commitment to Kashmir part. So, I wanted to understand. On you said you connected with lot of uh, partners on ground. Hmm. So, was there any criteria to pick these artisans, or they were handpicked, or like? Yes, they were handpicked. <laughs> I wasn't a part of the process, so I was hired much later when they de- needed design intervention. Uh, in the in you know Laila and Shruti and so Shruti heads the um, 
she's the chief coordinator for the project mm. and she's based out of Delhi. And so there's a team and Yasser is the ground um, coordinator in, in Srinagar. He's a part of CBI. And um, so they actually, I think, um, put, um, put an ad out or I don't know, put something out um, in Kashmir and they had over 2000 entries and then they shortlisted and shortlisted and finally had a workshop and from that work in Delhi and from that workshop in Delhi, they shortlisted further and uh, in the second cohort. So the first cohort, they had, I think, 15 or 16 people that they had uh, worked with. Um, but after the flood, only four of them continued. The rest of them actually had lost so much. Uh, you know, people had lost their homes and just about everything in the flood. And why the flood was a turning point in their lives is because it wasn't like a flood that you see anywhere in India. The water, Srinagar is a valley, it's like a bowl. The water stayed for three weeks. It didn't drain out like other floods, places flood. And in like maybe max four days, five days, you're back on dry ground and you can start building again. This, the water stayed stagnant at 26 feet height. Um, I know friends whose homes right up till the attic were flooded and they had to be rescued in helicopters and boats and things like that. And uh, uh, they, you know, it, it soaked right to the foundation of their homes. So they had to rebuild from scratch. And so I think that was a huge turning point. And with these mentees, that commitment to Kashmir had taken the first time round. Uh, those people had to build their homes, their lives, their businesses, everything. So craft was the last thing on their minds. So only three or four of them managed to continue with the inputs that were given to them. And um, the rest of them actually had to uh, do other work. Somebody has a medical shop. Quite a few of them have got trauma and uh, issues of depression. They, they have psychological issues post flood. So they are not capable of uh, doing work. One of them has disappeared. He's a missing person right now, post-flood. So Pentu Kashmir had its share of woes also uh, from the um, incidents that were unfolding in the valley. So then when they started their second cohort, they, were, they didn't have money and they needed uh, somebody to invest. And no one is willing to look at Kashmir you know, then, yeah, for to invest, CSR. to invest, yeah. Yeah, even for funding or CSR, nobody wants to work in the valley. In that sense, I think Tata's, I think Titan has been quite the pioneer to have faith in a project like this and to set aside a fairly large amount of money uh, for a two-year in intervention. And because of that, Shruti and Laila and whoever it was who was planning this whole thing, they could actually scale. And they said, instead of looking at 10 art artisan entrepreneurs, why don't we look at 30? Mm. So they shortlisted out of these 200 odd people. They finally shortlisted 30. The only criteria they had was uh, these people had to have some connection to craft within their homes and neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. Cool. And uh, you also said that they used, they employ further also. So these yes, sort so, of people, what are their skill sets in general? I mean, I was going to ask you what are the challenges, but after listening to this thing, I would say not in terms of the daily life um, sustaining challenges, but generally if there is five to 10 artisans or these 30 people, 
what sort of profile do they have do they have like factories or small uh, textile setup so and... no so they are um, i would say um, it's varied so we had absolute novices for example one of my mentees is inshada who's now a very very um, eager uh, a very uh, what should i say committed entrepreneur right now she's really pushing her brand out it's it's a joy to see her uh, function right now she was a student of cbi she was doing her masters in craft management and she hadn't even passed out of the college uh, when she uh, was chosen by commitment to kashmir and she mm. uh, she comes from a family of carpet traders um but her whole thing was she wanted to take up a craft that is most common and so fetches the least amount of money and so how does she work in a craft like that where she can enhance the income of these people who earn a pittance for that particular skill which is chain stitch embroidery she knew mm. nothing of chain stitch embroidery but uh, she had access to artisans and she you know and then she had this craft manager so on one side is her and then you have people like uh, uh aslam who's been a coppersmith all his life and has run his coppersmithy business all his life and he's mm. a seasoned sort of artisan so mm. we had varied people so with someone like aslam with with uh, inshada i would say in business terms inshada was the startup level whereas aslam was at a ramp up level mm. so we had uh, okay okay and and um, so how do like what are their main challenges in terms of when they're making a product to design to market to reach out to connect what are uh, like how does commitment to kashmir help these artisans in a very broad sense because detail mein to matlab bahut nuances rahenge bahut hai no i'll tell you the in a very broad sense the largest thing is access to market one is access to market to source the right material for work to work in and mm. two is access to market to sell and commitment to kashmir that way has been a fabulous bridge in kashmir when you work in kashmir unlike other geographies even simple stuff like you know cotton duck fabric that is dyed properly पॉपलिन नहीं मिलता एंकर धागे नहीं मिलते बटन बकल्स यू नो जिप्स ऑफ गुड क्वालिटी नहीं मिलता कॉपर इज ऑफ वेरी पुअर क्वालिटी एंड देन यू डोंट हैव द राइट टूल्स दे आर सिटिंग विद आदम के जमाने का सोइंग मशीन एंड यू नो वट एवर एल्स बिकॉज आई डोंट यू दे आर लाइक फ्रोजन इन टाइम वेर इज द रेस्ट ऑफ द वर्ल्ड हैज मूव डाउन इन दैट सेंस सी टू के हैज बीन सो गुड um they not only gave them design we were all there to give design input of course but mm. then c2k felt that design is one thing so an embroiderer can embroider the most beautiful pieces but there's a huge gap in tailoring skills in the valley so they mm. actually got some of these uh, craft uh, mentees these uh, uh, c2k mentees to delhi and at nift they gave them like state of the art training in um in tailoring so in garment construction and bags and working with leather uh, so those sort of skills then uh, made sure that they were given the right kind of machinery and equipment um gave them access to the right kind of resources in delhi bangalore calcutta wherever it is that they could source 
you know, so they uh, they could source their raw material from. So like um, Tariq, who's uh, Sozni embroiderer I work with, Sozni was always limited to shawls and stoles in wool. And we started doing uh, embroidery on khadi saris. And that's a game changer because nobody has done that. Mm. And then you can reach out to markets in tropical south in, uh, you know, hot and humid east. It's no longer limited to Delhi winters. You know what I'm saying? Mm. So, um, and then the other thing Kashmir, commitment to Kashmir did was actually took up stalls in various crafts bazaars and at various events and had these people come and sell themselves. So they managed to travel outside in uh, Kashmir for the first time and see what a market looks like and interact with clients directly. Wow. It's so inspiring and so fascinating to know. And I can barely imagine the the empowerment uh, these people might be getting because of such such a... Situation. Just the freedom, no, just the, just that thing of stepping out into the outside world uh, mm. is is amazing. I'll tell you another uh, small incident. Like last year, when the design up, I think we met at the design up in November yes. last year. Remember? Yes, and there yes. was this commitment to Kashmir stall. Correct. And there were these two young Kashmiri uh, artisan entrepreneurs there, and the guy for the first time he had. So he's only been uh, to Delhi. He hadn't been anywhere else in India. And I I keep telling people because I'm from fancy South, I keep saying Delhi is not India. You know, you have to actually travel. And India is so different. You know, come to Bangalore, go to Kerala, go to Calcutta, you know, see other places. So this boy came and uh, at the Design Up conference, there were those uh, you know, those bikes, Yulu, or one of those bikes that you could uh, hire. Hmm. You know, those, I don't know. Yeah, something. yeah, bounce, bounce type. Bounce types, correct. Yeah. So he has never seen something like this in his life. So he said, Koi bhi li ja sakta. I said, Koi bhi. Chori ho gai I said, Koi nahi chori karta. <laughs> so hmm. then, uh, you know, their, ka- their phones weren't working because, uh, you know, there was an internet, there was a yeah, phone ban na, in mm. Kashmir. So when they came mm. to Bangalore, their phones weren't working. So I had, uh, so they, uh, I gave my phone and then he took the bike all over the place and he came back. He was like a free bird, you know, and even at home, I had to tell him, go wherever you want, but come back at dusk. Mm. Bangalore is absolutely safe, but you know, you look and talk like a Kashmiri man and I don't know, I can't, uh, uh, you know, you're under my care. So I mm. just want to be doubly cautious then very smartly he came back one day and he said you know now I don't have to depend on you because I have gone and bought a local sim and he was very proud so (laughs) we were also I thought this is really good and the whole day he's 20 something Mm -hmm. and so he was busy on his phone whatsapp sending pictures in 24 hours, that sim stopped working because as his ID proof, he had given his Aadhaar card and they probably traced it to Kashmir. And that was it. His Bangalore sim was blocked. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> so Terrible, terrible. <laughs> so, but we laughed about it. And he says, 
I'm so impressed. But look at the boy. He says, I'm really impressed. <laughs> you know, systems are working. <laughs> mm. <laughs> that's that's um, the positive uh, uh, positive spin to the thing. But uh, if you can also tell, uh, like, are there any indigenous products designed and produced in Kashmir? I mean, uh, any, I mean, the tons of, but any particular which gives uh, a unique character and also empowers these artisans? I think so. Locally, what really sells, and it's a thriving industry which won't sell anywhere outside India, is the use of wicker work. They have this particular willow wicker that grows along their lakes and rivers. And they make these kangris, which are these small sort of, um, I don't even know what it is. It's like a little basket in which they have a, a terracotta pot with uh, wood filings and uh, it's burnt so that coal is, those embers are on the whole day and you put it inside your ferron and it keeps you warm. It's warm. It's like an internal heater. Mm. Um, all of us use it in winter in Kashmir. Um, so those kangris are, that market will never die out for them. That craft will never die out because locally it has to be bought and nothing can replace it. Hmm. Um, but are there any other uh, things for in i mean like if we call kashmir as a as a small bubble in itself then anything which is worth exporting to outside india as in like outside not just outside india but outside kashmir uh, which is more towards utility as opposed to the craft or the because like a typical middle class living in a metro has this perception that you have a handicraft so that's हाँ, why this question ki kuch utility driven hai kya bahut si cheeze hain bahut si cheeze hain because they handcraft and put uh, uh, put beauty and aesthetics into every little thing like if you go to a local knife maker who's just making chaku churis to be used in the kitchen so they have they have spoons ladles knives uh, bartans trambis uh, you know, samovars, they have their kitchen equipment suited for different things. So your meat knives, depending on what meat you are cutting, is different. You have your vegetable knives, which are different from the meat knives, but depending on what vegetable, what type of vegetable you're cutting. And they're so beautifully so beautifully made, you know. And it's the same thing uh, with nut crackers, with, with very everyday things. And you... When I look sometimes and you just chance upon it in somebody's kitchen because they just use it as everyday stuff, you know. Mm. And uh, then you're like, wow, what is this? And they laugh at you and say, this one says wow to everything. She goes outside, she sees a dandelion flower and says, wow, so beautiful. Ye to hai. Wo to mm. hai, you know. <laughs> but yeah. I'm like going wow at everything. Um, so there are many, many products, but I would think um you know, we only know carpet weaving in terms of those uber expensive silk on silk, Kashmiri fine uh, Persian carpets. But mm -hmm. there are some really beautiful, earthy, everyday carpets that they use for themselves, which are also handmade out there. There are these um, floor mats made out of this particular grass, which I think... Uh, would look very nice. We buy similar stuff in IKEA or some of these other fancy brands, but 
you know the kashmiris use it every day uh, in their yeah. lives they even yeah. line their cow sheds with things like this yeah <laughs> what they use regularly sounds very exotic to us but yeah, us, it's, yeah that's for the... them it's every day yeah you know, so simple on, on... Like, uh, simple stuff like at the end of every street there's a nunwai there's a baker okay Mm-hmm. and that baker uh, has his own tandoor and the whole day he's baking all sorts of types of breads okay and mm-hmm. they have some 20 30 varieties of bread and they have they drink tea the whole day and they have different types of tea so you begin your morning with nuncha which is a salty tea milky salty tea and there's a particular bread that goes with it which you sort of butter and then you dip in your tea and you eat then uh, mid morning you have another tea then after lunch you have your kava for digestion then you have early evening you have what they call lipton cha which is your ordinary regular jo chai apan log peete hai na wo wali cha to raat ko fir se and with each of these five or six teas that happen there is a separate bread there is a separate bake item that comes and this happens every day in every street and it's a way of life and i'm thinking then when i think back bangalore used to be like that in the 70s you know um so we have lost um a lot of our traditions in urban india and in most parts of india but i think uh, rural pockets and most of kashmir still preserves it mm. so the second last question which i have uh, i don't know whether it should be asked but uh, looking at the entire conversation i can if you if you can abstract or zoom out mm. um more philosophically mm. so mumbai is like the financial capital of india but it also has the biggest slum in asia so jahan pe matlab itna ameer hai to koi garib ho raha hai right ha matlab philosophical level pe to waisi uh, kashmir despite being in terror or disputes and a lot of what are not so happening situations for the last seven decades yet it is like the most beautiful thing or when it comes to design or craft so how do you how do you reconcile this thought uh, what is your take on itni sundar jagah hai but so scary so so there there have been i have had like multiple conversations over time with various people that i've worked with uh and there was there's this one person who's a papemashi artisan hakim saab and he says that you know in the worst in the peak of insurgencies insurgency in the late 90s um he says it was his nakashi it was his painting that took his mind off the ugliness that was happening outside so he and he's he's a he's like one of those absent minded professors i i consider him an ustad you know he, he must be in his 70s and so he has a hilarious take uh, of everything and uh, whatever conversation we have he will link it to some part of um, the quran uh, the, then some sufi something then some real incident that happened he he connect many things together huh? and he says that actually crafts have honed themselves into a fine skill during uh, these last 3 decades of insurgency because people couldn't step out 
and uh, there was so much hangama ha- happening outside that you wanted to meditate and zone in and cut that noise out and so you went back to your skill and so he says pehle main ek hi type ka chinar you know, he used to make only one type of chinar uh, pattern design now i have something like 30 variations in my leaves because that's all i could keep my mind occupied not to sell it was uh, it was a way to disengage with the outside world that's something that he said sari like firdaus who's an embroiderer he lives in downtown kashmir in fateh uh, in um, uh, fatehkadal uh, and that's sorry nawabazar that's where uh, all the patra and the whatever whatever anything that has to it's the tinder box all action starts in front of firdaus's house there've been times when i've been stuck there because you know there's some encounter happening down the street or army has barricaded it and curfew has set off you know all sorts of things and um, one day he was really listless and not doing his uh, you know not we weren't getting anywhere with work he was not um, you know had his tea was going cold you know you could generally tell he wasn't uh, Uh, happy he wasn't settled so i said listen let's go out for a walk and we i said you show me your part of shrinagar and this is something i do all the time because then i get to see places through people's eyes mm. and so then we walked down the street that he's walked down from when he was a child and he pointed out and he said my fufi used to live here and she used to make the most beautiful ferrans my somebody as i said so he took me and we crossed the river jhelum and then he took me to he said main aapko ek khaas jagah dikhaunga jahan aap pahunchoge to aapko bas sukoon hi milega you won't get anything else you will only find sukoon even if you want to find anything else you won't be able to seek it and he took me to um, this um, school this this khanka this of shah hamdan it's also got shah hamdan's uh, shrine and mm-hmm. sayed shah hamdani came from persia in the 13th or 14th century and he is the patron saint of all crafts in kashmir so he came to propagate in islam and he found that when he was meeting the uh, poorest of poor and the most downtrodden they were where they were because they weren't able to earn an income so he brought persian artisans with him and taught the crafts of persia the arts of persia to these people and that's how these crafts have come to be in kashmir and which is why the their visual link is more with central asia and persia than with india and so i go to this place and it's i've been there many times before but when i you know that day that afternoon i was seeing it through firdaus's eyes and he said you know when when there's curfew and patrav and this and that and shelling and tear gas and what have you and my mind is really disturbed i just come and sit here and uh, and the insides women can't step in so i could see only from the outside the the entire uh, khanka is uh, covered with tiles of fete mache and the walls uh, floor ceiling staircase trellis windows everything is crawling with texture and art uh, out of fete mache and so he sits there and uh, he says he just spends a couple of hours doing nothing just sitting inside there and then he says his heart lightens and he comes back and he's able to then take on the world so people um 
and he says then he just gets into his work and uh, time stands still he says he can blank everything out so constantly i hear this thing of people actually resort to their craft to shut things outside out i'm, I'm speechless actually <laughs> so in fact my entire collection with him that mm. i did i created very ordinary <laughs> um you know uh, commercial <laughs> commercially viable bags and pouches and cushions and stuff uh, with mm. him using his skill of embroidery cruel work and all the motifs were evolved from the the uh, geometric tessellations that were there inside shanshah uh, you know khanka of shamdan uh, from that the interiors of that mosque and uh, the other thing that he said was you know because he stays in this house where sometimes they shut out for months together they can't even step out so Kashmiris have become so resilient and self-reliant that every house uh, grows its own vegetables, grows its own fruit, you know. And at any given point, they have six months worth of rations available in-house because forget encounters and emergencies. Winter shuts them out often, you know. Um, there have been weeks when there's no petrol or kerosene or anything to be had because the tunnel that the pass is shut the jawahar tunnel and uh, so these people that we are very very self uh, reliant uh, and they practice their craft uh, at a far more personal um, what should i say it's expression more, yeah it's a more internalized ex- experience for them than an external market driven one and that's why i think it's so beautiful in fact this this conversation is going to put me in a lot of introspection when i listen to it again uh, <laughs> all right i think devika i mean like just given the time it's it's so fascinating to hear so many aspects about kashmir i wish we can do like multiple episodes but just on a concluding note uh, for this uh, commitment to kashmir so what's what's the future like uh, it's 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 a very lame question because with kashmir it you can't even predict tomorrow but um, you have been working on some project um, if you can tell about that and then how are things shaping up in today's time and is there any road map ahead for commitment to kashmir um, inshallah it will be uh, successful because i think the world is opening up and uh, Uh, you can't keep a place shut out for that long no so mm. uh, there will be a way out and i think now that uh, people have realized that there's a way out and there are markets outside um, dying for uh, kashmiri uh, crafts and uh, a, a project like commitment to kashmir has done away with middlemen so to speak so people are directly accessing buyers and you know a clients and clients can directly access artisans um i think uh, the way forward uh, i i only see hope and ever optimistic but i only see hope and positivity it, it can only succeed it's not going to uh, go back um mm. and commitment to kashmir itself started its own commercial platform called zaina um and uh, they are selling a lot of the artisan products online themselves and ho- participating in exhibitions and stuff like that 
So I just uh, hope it continues and just grows from strength to strength. Um, mm-hmm. I'll keep helping on whatever help is required. That is, that's great. a given, and Shruti knows it. <laughs> so, uh, but uh, right now I ha- I'm not that engaged in uh, commitment to Kashmir because mm-hmm. my time uh, we had signed up for a two-year contract and that's over. So okay. officially, I'm not. Uh, working there but unofficially of course always available mm-hmm. i'm right now i've taken on a full time uh, commitment um, in another very interesting uh, what should i say scenario i'm heading a handloom startup in a small town called yemiganur in andhra okay and uh, there's a huge focus right now suddenly on handloom you know so many sari portals have come up and so many sari connoisseurs have come up. Everybody is into weaving uh, or celebrating some weave or the other. I see on Facebook every day some five new people um, have adopted some weaver cluster somewhere. And it's fantastic that there is this reawakening to handloom, at least in the country. But we forget that for every one sari weaver um, that we find, there are, it's like a pyramid, no? If the mm. sari, one sari weaver is at the apex of the pyramid with his fine skills and earning a, high, a higher income uh, compared to the rest of the weavers, there are at least 10 at the base of the pyramid, 10 to 12 at the base of the pyramid, mm. who can only weave sackcloth, lungis, towels, bedsheets, and other coarse count stuff. Okay. Mm. And while all of us are focusing on saris, saris and more saris, Banarsi, Paitani, you know, Ilkal, Falana, Thikana, Jobi Ho, um, what happens to your uh, tolia, you know, bedding, that kind mm. of thing? Where will they go? What will they do? You can see 10 years and you can't see any of your life. So I've been fortunate that I've been given this project where I have to address those at the bottom of the pyramid. Mm. And this is, Yemignur is um, right in that, I call it the um, cotton belt, no? From Vidharba, if you draw a line across India, Pura, Karnataka, mein, Andhra, mein, there's this one chunk, North Andhra, North Karnataka, South Maharashtra, cotton growing belt. Mm. And it's uh, abject poverty, suicide, crazy debt, um, you know, all the social evils that you can, socio-economic evils that you can put into a geography. We've taken it all and put it into this little uh, region. And so I'm working in that region right now. And uh, uh, Yemignur is by and large a weaving uh, town. It's not a village, it's a town. And Mm. in the 1930s, one of the master weaver families there had the vision to actually get the weavers together and set up a cooperative. So Machani Somapa set up this cooperative in 1931 or 32. And um, he was the first Padmashri uh, awardee, you know, he was the first person to receive a Padmashri and the Yamignul Cooperative Society was well known across the country for its fine cotton towels and bed sheets and stuff. So he didn't think of converting them into sari weavers or fine count or anything. He just took whatever they had and sort of brought them together, set the business process right, correctly and 
connected them to markets and helped them sell. So this little geography was thriving till liberalization happened and till the state government took over the cooperative society from privately owned. It was a society owned by the weavers till then. And then um, to nobody's fault, I mean, I'm not saying the government or anything, whatever, it just went pear-shaped and, you know, there was embezzlement and some patani kya kya. And it's sort of uh, one entire generation of weavers now, since the 90s till now, mm. um, they are barely managed. They're just living. Okay? They are not alive. They're living. Um, so they do. They earn uh, 14 rupees is the labor that they earn from the cooperative for a towel. And they can weave about six towels a day. Six so towels a like week? A day. A so day. that's like 80, 90 rupees a day. Mm. You know, a bedsheet weaver earns 45 rupees for his labor for weaving an entire bedsheet. What are we talking about, you know? Yeah. So, and the thing is that the weaver is also not thinking because he's getting his free rations from the government. So, the cooperative is providing him or whoever, even if it's master weavers from other towns, they're providing him with um, his uh, cotton, they are lay, putting his warp from all he has to do is run the shuttle up and down. Everything else, somebody else is taking care of for him, you know, the whoever his employer is. But that employer is doing it at the cost of something. So, repair, repair, but it will be cut against your wages. And that mm. has added up, and each of these weavers has an, a debt of at least 40 to 60,000, at least. And their whole life, they're not going to be able to get out of that. But they're not questioning it because they're not hungry. They're not able to get out of their situation because there is a B-grade market that will buy their 50 rupee ka towel. You know? mm. So it's a strange catch-22 situation because they will they at one point wove the best of uh, home linen and now they're making bed sheets for the railways. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, so, yeah. You know, here we are saying, Are ham sabko employment de rahe, unko itna order hai ki wo kuch nahi kar sakte. But what are you getting the guy to weave? You're just giving him white kora kapda to weave when he's capable of doing so much more and earning so much more. You can't keep people at subsistent levels of income and then claim that at least they're earning something. You know, mm. where is dignity of labor there? So, so, what you're trying to do is it, if I'm reading it correctly, it's huh. more like a change the pyramid to make it like a honeybee kind of a network. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, how do we enhance income levels? Uh, how do we, um, what should I say, generate self worth? How do we get people to realize that they have magic in them? You know, mm. y'all have magic in them. How is it that you're appreciating? my magic and um, I'm not able to appreciate yours. Simple as that. Correct. So we had a whole lot of Noor in all the various streets that these uh, weavers live in. There are about 3,900 weaver families in Yamignur, 10,000 handlooms. Um, the next generation, uh, very few are taking up weaving. Most of them have a college education. Most of them are coming to 
Karnool and uh, Bangalore and uh, wherever else. Um, Yemignoor itself has a sister concern set up by our, the parent group that has set up my uh, company, which provides IT solutions. So a lot of the Weaver children are getting into IT. Uh, and then what happens to an occupation that has survived thousands of years and is absolutely viable. <laughs> I like. I think we'll conclude on this note, but I can't stop asking you like, Ask although, <laughs> although you have uh, highlighted like uh, sort of the depressing situation that we are living in, in this country. So what keeps you happy? I mean, it is just the attitude or now you have made peace with it. Uh, <laughs> I don't think I'll ever make peace with it because then I'll stop working. No. <laughs> <laughs> so what makes me happy is just, uh, it's this thing, no? When I see somebody realize the magic in them, that makes me happy. Hmm. Happy, I would say more positive uh, in, in approach. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Hmm. It's, it's just that self-realization when that happens. So it's one thing, so even in my work, I never ever go with artworks. I never ever sort of, design design you know unless it's a training module that i'm providing where somebody has to learn theory or technique then we have to go with a certain set of parameters but when it comes to design it's always co-creation because the joy that i get when you know when that penny drops in the other person's head and says oh this is what she's been talking of all this while and then they do work which i could not could not even have dreamt of and that's absolute joy, you know. So yeah. if I'm, it's it's just so I keep telling people, and people say, "Show us your work." I have no work to show. Nothing is mine. <laughs> what to do? Beautiful, beautiful. That's a very. Uh, I mean, that's the highest form of uh, structure you can have. I, I am like short of words, and I don't know how to conclude no, this. It's also, it, it's just that uh, it has been a great experience listening to your. Uh, insights, perspectives, stories, and I, I would like to have you again on audio again. Maybe after this uh, uh, new project of yours um, takes some shape, and sure, there are a sure. lot of insights to be shared there. Absolutely, yeah, sure. I'll be happy to come back on board. Good. We are actually going to this new project is going to be a game changer because we are we are not just addressing beavers. We've come to realize that the farmers do need help. And so the whole thing is about livelihoods in Yamignor. So we are going to, we are going to go um, from you know cotton cultivation, best practices in indigenous organic cotton cultivation, vegetable and uh, not vegetable. What should I say? Organic uh, plant-based dyes, um, mm. hand spinning, so that at every point of the process, we generate livelihoods within that geography. So from like my colleague was saying, from farm to fiber to fabric to fashion to repurposing. So we'll also have a buyback of your faded stuff, which we'll then repurpose into something else. And we are trying to see how we can do something that is so self-contained that that geography, other than markets, it doesn't have to look outside itself for any other need. Yeah. In fact, I've got the topic for the next talk with you. Which okay. is which is recycling and 
sustainability what does it mean in the indian context it's oh, it's yeah. a yeah yeah it's a different uh, uh i mean we can like i don't know maybe start from gandhi's philosophy till date yeah <laughs> absolutely you know and i think that's the only way forward what gandhi ji said about panchayati raj you know about um india should be in its uh, multitudes you know there should be mm. little indias across the country that get together and form the larger whole absolutely we are we are going in the reverse direction but if because each geography is so um different in its needs mm. culturally geographically you know culture everything everything wise weather wise whatever what a person in kerala in a village needs is not what a person in tamil nadu or karnataka or kashmir needs no but so, we are going in a reverse direction but all absolutely. the power to you uh, and people <laughs> like you so that uh, we can hopefully at least be a resistance and not matlab oh, as the kashmiri would say inshallah ki ulta pravah shuru ho jaye but haan, uh, we can haan. just hope for the best we can just hope for the best we yeah. can just work towards the best that's it correct correct <laughs> all right thanks, thanks. Uh, devika thanks for lot, yeah. one okay thank you bye, bye. bye all the best bye thanks bye and that's it from today's gyan session catch us on itunes savan stitcher or any podcasting app you use do rate us on itunes and follow us on twitter facebook and instagram stay tuned for more gyan on audiogyan.com till then bye